0: Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Well, if I have not gotten to meet you, my name is Mitch. I'm the executive pastor at Lake Forest, and I'm so glad that you're here with us today. And we are, if you're new, this is your first time. Uh, You're here because you love your mom, and so thank you for doing what she said and coming to church with her. Uh, So, we are in this series called Follow Me, and I'm going to kind of take us in this next step And what does it mean for us to truly follow Jesus. And in the church, there's a lot of uh, confusion sometimes around what does it really mean to follow him, to fully give my life to him. And so, we're trying to make some clarity around a number of those things. So, for the sake of today, around you, we can kind of also, there's a lot of folks here, and we kind of narrow this grouping of folks into kind of two categories just for the point of today. So, today, sitting in this room are a number of people who have said, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. And so, there are a number of you who are sitting here who have made that decision and you're uh, fully on board and and following Jesus. There's a second group of people that are in this room as well, and that is the opposite side of that are people who have not uh, made the decision to follow Jesus. Now, in that group, I bet there's a number of folks who are in that group who would actually say, I'm curious though. I'm, I'm a little curious about coming and knowing Jesus a little bit more and possibly following him. But then there's another part of that group of not following, and that would be people who are very skeptical that I don't have any interest. And in fact, I'm here today just because I'm loving my mom, and she made me come, and I love her, and that's what I'm going to do. But there's lots of reasons why I might be skeptical. I want to let you know I am so proud and so grateful for your courage in showing up today. That's hard. It's hard to come into a room like this and come into a church when you might be skeptical or or maybe even just curious about Jesus but not following him. I want to let you know as well that today I am talking to the group of people who have chosen to follow Jesus. But if you've not chosen to follow Jesus, I hope you would also hear a little bit more. And maybe I pray that you'll learn a little bit more of what it actually means to follow him in one of these areas that we're going to look at. Because I also realize that there's a number of reasons why people are skeptical. One of the reasons a lot of people are skeptical about following Jesus is because they've watched other followers of Jesus. And they've watched other followers of Jesus really miss the mark. And they're offended by a lot of that, and so I don't have any interest in necessarily following this Jesus if that's what it looks like. And part of what I want you to know is we gather weekly to encourage each other in what it means to follow him because leaving a lot of old ways of living and grabbing a hold of how Jesus calls us to live, that's hard. That doesn't change overnight. So yes, a lot of followers of Jesus miss the mark. But I hope that you might actually see today the mark that we're aiming for. And so I hope that you'd be encouraged by today. But again, I want you to know that I'm talking to those who have said, we're going to follow Jesus. And here's our focus. How do I follow Jesus in welcoming people into my life, into my home, and even my dinner table? As we walk today with Jesus, we're going to look at a book in the Bible. It's the third book in the New Testament the second half of the Bible, and it's a book called Luke. It's one of my favorites. I love the book of Luke, and in fact, if you're curious about getting to know Jesus a little bit, then I'd encourage you to take one of the Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, take one of the Bibles that are in the chairs, take it home, it belongs to you. But open up to the second half of the Bible, the New Testament, the third book, the book of Luke, and read this. What you're going to find in there is a number of times that Jesus stops and has dinner. He sits at a dinner table with a lot of folks, and you're going to find in there that at the dinner table, he's having dinner a lot of times with people that others would not necessarily welcome. So today, as we walk through this book of Luke, then we're going to look at four places where Jesus stopped to have dinner, and we're going to ask this question, how do I follow Jesus in welcoming people into my life? into my home and even my dinner table. And I'm going to give you one assignment. I hope you take this assignment, one assignment. The assignment is I want to challenge you in the next two weeks to invite somebody into your home, to invite somebody to your dinner table. And as we look through these places where Jesus has dinner, I pray that person might reveal themselves as we look at this. But I want to challenge you to invite somebody into your home in the same way that Jesus would welcome them. The first spot on the table, let's go sit at the table. So the first spot at the table you actually find in Luke chapter 5. That's where we're going to be. We actually, if you want to know a little bit more about Luke chapter 5, you can actually go back to two weeks ago when we started this sermon series. And Mike actually looked at the same story, but he looked at it from the perspective of Matthew. I want to look at it from the perspective of Luke. And what you're going to find at the table that Jesus sits at, he's at the table with a guy. He invites himself to the table of a guy named Levi. But to know the story a little bit, Jesus has just healed a paralyzed man. And he comes out of the house of the paralyzed man that he heals, and he sees Levi. Levi is also known as Matthew. And he sees Levi at his place of work. Levi is a tax collector, and he's at his tax booth. He's robbing people. He's taking money from people as a tax collector. That's part of what they did. They were very corrupt. And Jesus sees him, and he says to him to come and follow him. And not only is Levi a tax collector, but he's one of the worst tax collectors out there, okay? But this is where we pick up the story, Luke chapter 5. After this, this is when he comes out of the house of the paralyzed man, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at a tax booth. "'Follow me,' Jesus said to him. Levi got up, left everything, and followed him." Now, you have to pause here just a little bit. Here's why you have to pause. Anytime one of the jobs of a pastor is to take biblical times and find a modern-day example to kind of make the connection. Anytime a pastor preaches about tax collectors, this is me included, we always make the modern-day example of what we're talking about as a guy who works for the IRS. Okay? We've never been able to find any other connection. Now, this is the other reason why we've never been able to find another connection, is because no matter how many times I use that example, I have never once, and I've never met a pastor who's ever had a person from the IRS come up to them after and say, I'm offended. I've never had that happen. And so, we may actually be onto something in the fact that nobody for the IRS goes to church. And so, we're going to continue to use this example until somebody comes up to me and says, I work for the IRS, I'm offended. Okay, so we're going to continue, but that's kind of the connection that's going on here. And so, we've got this picture, and then you jump into verse 29, of... Uh, Well, actually, before we jump into verse 29, I want you to see that one of the places you also have to recognize is Jesus told this tax collector, Come follow me. And he does. And so, what you may be seeing here is the greatest miracle of all time. Someone from the IRS chose to follow Jesus. That's a huge miracle. And I'll stop picking on IRS people. You can kind of tell who did not get taxes returned this year, uh, who had to pay taxes. (laughs) Verse 29, "'Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, "'Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?' Now, here's what's really funny is in this is uh, tax collectors and sinners are even separators. Sinners will not even let tax collectors be in their category, okay? <laughs> verse 30, uh, the next verse, Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So, G- Jesus goes to Levi's place of work. He calls Levi to come and follow him. He calls him to leave this place of work, this corrupt lifestyle, this lifestyle of cheating and robbing from people, and to come and follow him. And Levi drops everything. And he comes and he follows Jesus. He leaves his booth. He leaves his job. He leaves this crooked way of life. And here's one of the things I want you to know about what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus, you always have to leave something behind. You always have to leave something behind. Too often, we leave the wrong ones behind. It's impossible to follow Jesus without leaving something behind. And part of following Jesus means that we are making a change in our life, and we're changing the way we've lived, and we've changed the things that we've served, and we're turning that now to following and serving him. And so you have to leave something behind. But too often, we leave the wrong things behind. And so we watch Levi leave a a lifestyle that's corrupt, one that cheats people. But yet the next scene, we see him throwing a party at his home that he's not left yet with his friends that he's not just done away with. And in fact, he has Jesus come over to his home and invites all of his friends over to his home in order to sit at the table, in order for him to say, I want you to know this Jesus too. And so sitting at this table is Jesus and all of Levi's friends. I've made a decision to follow Christ at age 16. Uh, And I remember uh, choosing to, to follow him fully. And I remember the first thing that my pastor was most interested in. The very first thing my pastor was most interested in is me no longer associating with anybody that wasn't fully following Jesus. That's what he was most concerned about. You need to stop hanging out with people who don't follow Jesus. Now, as I went through high school, I did that, and then I got into college. And you know what? When I, became, when I was a freshman in college, I was an absolute jerk. I was obnoxious. I was offensive because everything I wanted to do was only hang out with people who loved Jesus. And I didn't want anything else to do with anybody else. And then I met some people who knew Jesus, fell in love with Jesus, and they also loved people. And it was there that my eyes began to open up a little bit that Jesus is not calling me to leave people and to just come in and just be around those who follow Jesus. I then went on, graduated college and I went into college ministry. I was at UNC Greensboro and I remember meeting a kid about halfway through my years there and I met a kid named Gary. Gary was a freshman. And Gary, I was sitting in a Taco Bell with Gary at 2 a.m. in the morning. I don't do that stuff anymore. College ministry is very different. So sitting with him at 2 a.m. in the morning, and I told Gary about Jesus, and, Jesus, uh, and Gary chose right there at 2 a.m. at that Taco Bell to begin to follow Jesus. The very next day... A number of his friends who also love Jesus came to me. They were so excited, and their first question was, when are you going to tell him to break up with his girlfriend because she doesn't follow Jesus? That's what they were most interested in. You see, there's this mentality sometimes that when we choose to follow Jesus, now we're supposed to just leave everybody else behind. But I believe that Jesus is challenging us, if I can save you from that place, why couldn't I save somebody else from that as well? And the best tool I could use would actually probably be you. And so there's this picture of what it means to follow Jesus. It's never stop telling those that maybe you came from about him as well. As you follow Jesus, welcome those that are living in the ways you used to. Who's the person that you might need to invite to dinner in the next week or two? Is there someone that you might need to invite to dinner that you used to associate with, but you've just shut off because now you're a follower of Jesus and they're not, and so you've disassociated with them? You see, the Bible gives us a lot of counsel around who we should yoke ourselves with. The Bible gives us a lot of counsel about not hanging out with people who are just living day in and day out in sin and calling you back into that. But nowhere in the Scriptures does the Bible say to us, stay away from people who don't yet know the love of Jesus. The Bible's constantly calling us to keep in relationship and inviting and loving people who don't yet know the love of Jesus, and that's where we're called to be. Or maybe you have this attitude, well, I can't hang out with them. I can't hang out with them. They are sinners. Well, if that's your attitude, let me ask you who you most associate in this story. Verse 30, it says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Have you become a follower of Jesus, or have you actually become a Pharisee? There's a big difference. Sitting at the table is Jesus with sinners. Away from the table are those who are saying, I can't believe that you're sitting with them. See, that's part of what I also believe is that as you search the scriptures, part of what you find out is actually that sinners are kind of categorized in three different ways. I actually believe that we categorize sinners in three different ways. The first way that sinners are categorized is as them, them sinners. That's usually the way that a righteous, self-righteous, religious person would refer to sinners as them sinners. The Pharisees looked at Jesus and said, I can't believe that you're hanging out with them. And that's part of what happens when you become self-righteous and you forget about the love of Jesus as everybody else is now them. There's a second way that we categorize sinners as well. And, And for the person who categorized them as them... The person who says, it's them, is the person who says, I'm not sick. I'm not a sinner. They are. It's them. But the opposite side of that are those who would actually say that I am a sinner. I am sick, but I'm not going to find healing. And for that person who says, yes, I do sin, but I'm not going to find healing, sinners are actually categorized as us. We begin to know ourselves as us, us sinners, and you know what? The best way to defend yourself against a person who calls says that you're a them is to say, that's fine. I know I'm a sinner. I'm not interested in finding healing, but I'll gather other sinners around me, and it's us now. Yes, us sinners. Go ahead. Call us them. Us sinners. Us fornicators. Us drunkards. Us gossipers. We're okay with it. At least we're not hypocrites. Do you see the two distinctions? But there's only one way that the scripture calls us to identify as sinners, and that's called I. I am a sinner. It's no longer them. It's not just us. It's I. I am a sinner. And I need a healer. And it's at this table that Levi sat with Jesus and said, I am a sinner, I invite you over, and I want you to meet some of my friends because I hope that they too will recognize that they are sinners and they will take on healing. So who's the person that you might need to invite over that you have been describing as them? I want to encourage you this week or the next week to invite that person over. Have them over for dinner, and maybe this is the way your conversation at some point goes. Maybe you say to them, I am a sinner, and I met a healer named Jesus. If you're interested, I'd love to introduce you to him. But even if you're not, I need to tell you I'm sorry, because I left you behind and just saw you as one of them. Maybe that language would help you have the courage to invite that person over for dinner. There's a second place on the table, the second uh, table that we're going to look at. You actually find Jesus now sitting in the home of a Pharisee. Luke chapter 7 is where we're going next. Luke chapter 7, it tells us this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, poured perfume on them. We're going to jump to verse 44. Jesus in between there tells the Pharisee, we learn his name is Simon, tells him a parable, a story. But then verse 44, and then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, well, they just love little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven." So at this table, the first table that Jesus sits in, he's actually at the table of lots of sinners and their are Pharisees looking in and going, how do you eat with them? The next table, he's actually sitting at a table of a Pharisee. And yet he's still being judged by the Pharisee when this woman comes in. This woman walks in and begins to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and perfume on his feet. And he's thinking, Simon is thinking, this guy must not be a prophet. Because if he was a prophet, he would actually tell this woman to stop and get away from him. But Jesus turns it back to Simon and says, Simon, you are judging me because you have a theology, you have an expectation, you have all this money and all these finances that you actually love more than me. And if you truly love me more then you would be excited that this woman has met a Savior. You would actually care for the Savior, but you haven't even acknowledged me as that as well. So one of the things we learn in this story at this table about following Jesus as we follow Jesus and welcome those he welcomed, it will cost us our theology, It will cost you your finances, your time, and others' expectations of you. It will cost all of that. All of that will be disrupted. Because when you welcome sinners, when you welcome broken people, when Jesus calls you to welcome them even into your home, you will be disrupted. Your life will be disrupted. You will lose your theology. You will rethink about God. You will lose finances. It will cost you. It will lose reputation in order to welcome those who Jesus welcome. It costs you. Do you know that right now on all, the other side of the world, my 22-year-old daughter, Lindsay, is in Africa right now. She is there exploring and taking a first visit of where she's going to be living for the next two years. My daughter has uh, accepted a position with Africa Inland Missions to become a missionary in Nairobi, Kenya as a photojournalist as she graduates. And you know what? Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it's always beautiful when it's somebody else's kid. (laughs) You're going, oh, that's so great. They must have raised a great dog. That's so wonderful. Glad it ain't my kid. But when it's your child, there's a level of anxiety that stirs. There's all kinds of of thoughts and thinking about an unknown area and all the dangers and everything else that comes and stirs. That's very real. And so it costs you. And it's costing us our daughter. And I want you to know it's her mama's fault. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. It's her mom's fault that Lindsay has fallen in love with Jesus. It's her mom's fault that she learned when we took her on her first mission trip at age 11, and then she's taken three others since then. She spent an entire summer in Bolivia serving orphans. Last year, she led one of our Honduras teams, and now she finds herself going to Africa. Why? Because it's her mom's fault. <laughs> it's her mom's fault that Lindsay worked through all kinds of struggles and discovered her giftedness and her love for writing and photography and her love for people who don't know Jesus yet. It's her mom's fault that she fell in love with the fact that I can't sit back in the comforts of everything else while other people don't know Jesus. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful Mother's Day gift to her mom and to me And we are so proud that Lindsay White is our daughter and her love for Jesus, but it cost us. It cost a lot more money to go and visit. It cost the time that we thought we would have with her. It cost a lot of things, but you know what? It's worth it if others get to know Jesus because this woman has fallen in love and using her gifts. But it will always cost you when you welcome those who Jesus welcome. The third place at the table is we find in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there's a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. He was very wealthy. Now, you saw the story of Levi and how he was a tax collector. Well, Zacchaeus would have been his boss, which means he's good enough to even steal from him. And so this is how he's made a lot of wealth, is becoming a chief tax collector. Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I've got to stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus, a sinner, a curious sinner. Someone who was kept from seeing Jesus. Some of this is his own fault. He's been cheating and stealing from people. And so this crowd is not going to let him in. And so they're going to be the barrier for him coming to know Jesus. But some of it is also just his own handicap in that he's just short. He's small. But yet he's curious. And so he climbs this tree. He's curious about who this Jesus is. And it's not until Jesus invites himself over to Zacchaeus's house that Zacchaeus actually realizes how much he's in need of Jesus. The next verse, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, there are so many people that aren't yet following Jesus because they're not able to see him for who he is. But I fully believe that if they can actually see Jesus for who he truly is, that they would actually say, why wouldn't anybody want to follow him? Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe if you're here today and you're curious, maybe though you're like Zacchaeus in the sense that there are a lot of things that are keeping you from seeing the true Jesus. It might be other followers of Jesus that are keeping you from seeing him, from getting up close It may be some handicaps in your own life that you didn't ask for, but even growing up, some places that have hurt you, hurt your family, that keep you from being closer to Jesus and getting to know him. But I fully believe that Jesus today may be inviting himself to you and saying, hey, I need to come into your life. I need to come and let you know who I truly am. I'm sorry all these other things have made you think I'm somebody else. But today, out of your curiosity, I'm saying I must come to your home. I must come and tell you more of who I am. And that's part of what we learn here in this story is that part of welcoming those who Jesus welcomed, as you welcome those Jesus welcomed, many times you're going to have to invite yourself into a person's life. There are going to be many times that people aren't going to invite you. They're not going to want anything to do with you. And they're not even going to know how, but there might be a person out there that you're encouraged today to invite to your home that you know would never initiate relationship with you. But maybe you can invite them into your home even this week just simply to begin to break bread. Simply to just say, eventually I'd love to help them to get to know who Jesus truly is. The last place at the table is the most important place at the table. The fourth story that we we look at is in Luke chapter 22. And I'm going to encourage you to go and, and to read that story on your own. Luke chapter 22, Jesus is sitting at his last table. It's the last table while he's on earth, and he's sitting with sinners. He's sitting with his 12 original followers. In the other Gospels, they paint this picture and they paint this story in this beautiful romantic place. But yet I love the way that Luke describes the story. Because Luke describes this story in the fact that Jesus sits down with his disciples, and he says to them, this is the last meal we're going to have before I go and suffer. And I'm going to break this bread, this bread I break as a picture to you that my body is broken and I'm going to suffer for you. And then he pours the cup and he pours the the wine and he says, this is my blood that I'm going to shed in order for you to live in grace. And it's beautiful. But then it's a family meal because Luke goes on to tell us that right after he says that, he then looks and he says, but there's somebody at this table who tonight is going to betray me sinners. And then the disciples begin to argue and wondering who it is. And then they begin to argue over, well, who's going to be the greatest? When Jesus is gone, which of us is going to be the greatest? And Jesus stops them and says, it's not about being great. It's about serving. And then he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you're going to deny me. (laughs) No way, Jesus. I'll go to my grave standing for you. No, Peter, before the end of tonight, you're going to deny me three times. He's sitting at a table of sinners. And yet, sometimes when we see the table of him sitting with his disciples, we forget that these are sinners. They're followers of Jesus, but they are sinful people. And that's the part of why we as Christians are always called to come to the table, to remember that Jesus saved me as well. And so as you welcome those who Jesus welcome, you can never, ever forget how he welcomed you. If you ever forget how Jesus has welcomed you, you will then all of a sudden begin to call everybody else them and not realizing that he has freed us. And so today, we're not going to actually receive the bread. We're not going to receive the cup. For those of you who are kind of new to church, um, part of what Christians all over the world are called to is remembering this last table and the breaking of the bread and receiving it, the, break, the pouring of the cup and receiving it. But today, I just simply want you to reflect Do you remember that the body of Christ was broken for you, for your sin? Who's somebody you need to invite over for dinner and to extend that same brokenness of Jesus to them, that you've refused to give to them the same grace that Jesus gave to you? Who have you refused to give it to? And as Jesus took the cup, said, this is a sign of the new covenant. My grace is poured out for you. Who is it that you've refused to extend grace to that you may need to invite to dinner this week and to say, Jesus extends you grace and I extend you grace. Let's welcome those that Jesus welcome. Would you stand, and I'm going to pray for us And then we're going to move right into reflecting on these passages in worship together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the places that you sat at the table with sinners. Not just them, not us, but you sat at the table with me. And I pray that during our time of worship right now, that we can uh, do what worship truly is, and that's reflecting back to the amazing grace that you've extended. And so I pray that right now as we worship that you'd allow us to take a hold of all that you've saved us from. And may you uh, prick in our heart a conviction and an invitation to someone who we've not extended grace to, that you might use us this week to tell about you.